Amen. Amen. Well, what a joy it is to come once again to the Lord's house to gather with the Lord's people and to look into our Lord's Word and by it, by it, not only be renewed, not only be refreshed, but even be changed, changed now and for all eternity. The Word of God has been read in our hearing. Let us pray that God's Spirit would apply it to our hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again this morning for your Spirit, for your Holy Spirit, as it causes us to be holy. So we are in your sight. We thank you for its presence here, for inhabiting the praises of your people. We pray that he would have his convicting work in our lives. And even so, that he would have his comforting way as well. Might we come to know Jesus, the baby born in the manger, the son crucified, the cross, and the king raised unto glory. Might we know him, love him, worship him, adore him all the more this day by your spirit and in his name. Amen. Well, we have um, been making our way through the book of Judges. We've been taking our time going through the Judges, but at this time of the year, I believe it's appropriate that we just take a few Sundays to reflect upon the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world. To reflect just a few moments intentionally upon our Lord's Advent. So over the next uh, several Sundays, we will be reflecting on just that, the coming of Christ into the world, the baby born in Bethlehem, and be reminded just what does it mean for us that our Savior indeed broke into time and space, touched this earth, and indeed touched our lives. We refer to this time of the year as the Christmas season, or as Christians have referred to it through the years as the Advent season. The Advent season. And what does Advent mean? Well, it comes from the Latin term Adventus, and it simply means coming. And so when we speak of the Advent of Christ, what we're talking about essentially is the coming of Christ. That Christ came into the world. And we as Christians understand that we not only reflect upon the first advent of Christ, but we live our lives in light of the second advent of Christ. Because we are convinced by God's Spirit and according to His Word that our Lord not only came as a baby in Bethlehem, but He is coming again as a sovereign reigning king. 
And so we long for the second advent. But even now, this time of the year, we reflect intentionally upon his first advent. But Christmas, Christmas is not just, or the advent of Christ is not just about the fact that Christ came into the world, but even more so that we would reflect intentionally upon the reason for Christ coming into the world. And while the the world around us celebrates Christmas and the world around us tends to get in the Christmas spirit and come up for all types of reasons for celebrating Christmas, we as Christians need to know for sure. We need to be amongst those who are absolutely, positively convinced and confident as to the reason for the season. Why has Christ come into the world? The Bible reminds us that Christ came into the world with a purpose. And it indeed is a purpose that is lost on most of the world. He came with a purpose. The Bible reminds us that no one ever spoke like Jesus spoke. John chapter 7. The Bible also reminds us that no one ever walked like Jesus walked in Matthew chapter 14. For he spoke with a purpose. He walked with a purpose. In fact, our Lord Jesus Christ is the only one, the first and only one who truly lived a purpose-driven life. His purpose was clear. What was his purpose, you might ask? Well, again, over the next few weeks, we're going to look into the Scriptures and try to discover the purpose of Jesus coming into the world, the purpose of the advent of Christ. And as the world is once again rejoicing in the Christmas holiday, the Christian, the Christian needs to be reminded over and over and over again that it is not the day that is important, but the man. It's not the day. It's the man. It's not the season. It's really the reason. So we'll be asking the question, why did Jesus come? And this morning, the answer is given to us. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Beginning in verse 12, we're reminded that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to save sinners. You know, for the Apostle Paul, Christmas was not a holiday. Christmas was every day. It wasn't a holiday. It wasn't every day. His, his life was a testament to the greatest gift of all, the mercy and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And though the death 
and the burial and the resurrection of Christ was ever on Paul's lips and they were ever on his pen. He never, he never lost sight of the fact that Christ came into the world. That's amazing reality. That the Lord of glory, that the creator of the universe, that the God of heaven came down and touched earth. So even as he reached the end of his life and he was ready to pass on the torch of ministry to his young disciple, Timothy, Paul spoke of the existence, of his existence in light of the advent, in light of the coming of Christ into the world. And reflecting upon his life where he was before Christ and where he was after Christ, he speaks with an utmost confidence and assurance when he tells this young Timothy. He says, Timothy, this is a faithful, this is a trustworthy, this is a take it to the bank saying. That for, therefore, it is worthy of yours and everyone's full acceptance. If you don't hear me say anything else, Timothy, you hear this. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of whom? I'm the worst. Of whom I am the worst. Whatever, whatever understanding you have about Christmas and the advent of Christ, whatever reason you understand for Jesus coming into the world, the Bible reminds us this morning that the reason Christ came is to save sinners. Why? Why? Well, there's two reasons here, at least. The reason that Christ came into the world to save sinners is, first of all, it's because sinners need saving. Because sinners need saving. And Paul knew himself to be a sinner. He knew himself to be the worst of sinners. Notice how he refers to himself. He says, Timothy, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor of the church, a violent and a boastful attacker, insolent man. Against the church. This idea of being a blasphemer. This idea of being an evil speaker. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9 that Paul went about breathing threats. Against the church of Jesus Christ. Speaking blasphemously about who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Evil speaking. Slandering Christ. 
But if that was not enough, Paul says, I was not only a blasphemer, an evil speaker, but I was a persecutor of the church of Christ. That he says he went about tormenting and pursuing those who would name the name of Christ. In Acts chapter, three, Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, the Bible says that, that Paul, when he was Saul, went about ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged away men and women and committed them to prison for no other reason than that they named the name of Jesus. He was a blasphemer of Christ. He was a persecutor of the church of Christ. And as if those two were not enough, he says, I was just a violent, a insolent, a prideful, and a boastful man. And all those against Jesus. The word that Paul uses there is the word from which we get the word hubris. Paul said he was proud. He was arrogantly proud that he was violent against the cause of Christ. In other words, Paul says, It was my goal, not only for Christ to be crucified, but I wanted him crucified again and again and again and again. Paul reflecting upon this. In his mind, he couldn't think of anything worse than to take the Christ of glory and to slander him. To take those from whom Christ died and to persecute them and to beat them and to torment them and even to kill them. He couldn't think of anything worse than to seek the Christ of glory and to crucify him again and again and again and again. And for Paul, it just didn't get any worse than that. And so he says, I am the chief, the foremost of all sinners. This is an interesting statement when you think about it. Here is the Apostle Paul, the the grand apostle of the New Testament, the writer of the majority of the New Testament. Here is the Apostle Paul saying that I am the foremost sinner in the world. Think about it. John Stott did. And this is what John Stott said. John Stott said, Common sense tells us that this is not to be taken as a statement of precise scientific fact. You know why? 
For Paul had not investigated the sinful and criminal records of all the inhabitants of the world. Indeed, he hasn't come by my house. He didn't look in my heart. I believe that I could give Paul a run for his money. And it comes to being the worst sinner of all. Stott continues, he says, For he had not investigated the sinful and the criminal records of all the inhabitants of the earth and therefore carefully compared himself with them and concluded that he was worse than them all. The truth is rather that when we are convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit, an immediate result is that we give up all such comparisons. I don't need to compare my sin to your sin because as far as I am concerned, mine is the worst. Paul was so vividly aware of his own sin that he could not conceive of anybody doing any worse. Beloved, here's the news. Christmas is not about Santa Claus. Christmas is about sin. Sin brought Jesus into the world. Sin laid that baby in that manger. Sin sent that Lord of glory to the cross. Sin is the reason, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, that his name is even Jesus. In fact, Jesus said this is the reason why he came. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The message of Christmas, beloved, is this. Is that if Paul, being the greatest of all sinners, if Paul understanding himself to having sinned far more and in far surpassing ways than anyone else. If Paul, that sinner, that foremost, chief, insolent, blasphemer, persecutor of Christ, if he can be saved, anyone can. Anyone. Your sin is not too great. Your sin is not too much. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The liar, the adulterer, the prostitute, the pimp, the absentee father, the negligent mother, the disrespectful and disobedient child, the greedy, the lustful, the abuser, the homosexual, the abortionist, the selfish, the arrogant, the proud. It doesn't matter what category of sin you come up with. Christ came to save sinners. You know, it's interesting. 
reminded here that though Paul highlights his life before Christ, we are not to glory in our sinful past life. I often hear people and they give their testimonies and they begin to talk about their lives before they came to Christ and you listen to them and it's almost like they are regretting that they ever got saved. It's all, there's this gleam in their eye and there's this joy and you can see them reflecting upon all of the sin that they once did and you're asking yourself, wow, it just sounds like they wish they were in another place. That's not Paul. Paul reminds us, we do not glory in our past sins, but we do not forget them either. We don't make much of our former lives, but we do not forget our former lives. As Christ reminds us in Luke chapter 7, and he is at the house of the Pharisee, and he's dining at the house of the Pharisee with his disciples. And there is this woman from the city, this woman of the city comes in. And she bows down at his feet. And she begins to weep. And her tears flow upon his feet. And she begins to wipe those tears off his feet, even as she washes his feet with her hair. And she takes an alabaster box and she breaks it open and she begins to anoint our Lord's feet, not only with her tears, but with this expensive ointment. Those around her, those around Jesus, they're incredulous. They're like, ah, see, if he was really a prophet. He'd know that sinful woman from the street is touching him. Jesus tells his disciples, those who have been forgiven much, love much. The reason we remember the depth of our sin is because it causes us to glory all the more in the grace that has forgiven it. Paul remembers his sin. Paul remembers the greatness of his sin because the greater the sin, the greater the Savior. That's why we dare not forget Because it should remind us to run, to run all the more to Christ for saving. Why? Why did God choose the greatest persecutor of the early church to be the greatest preacher in the early church? So as to demonstrate, beloved, that no one, no one is beyond the saving power of Christ. And no one, no one is beyond being used 
of God. I don't want to dampen your spirit for Christmas this morning. But I do want to remind you that Christmas is about, once again, acknowledging the greatness of your sin so that you can glory in the greatness of the Savior. It's acknowledging who Christ is and being reminded not only that Jesus come into the world because sinners need saving, but he came also into the world because only he could save. Why did Jesus come? To save sinners. Why? Because only he could. <laughs> because only he could. Why send Jesus into the world if someone else could do it? Why send Jesus if someone else could take away our sin? The reason Jesus came is because only Jesus could. And Paul understood this. Paul understood that he stood under the wrath of God. He understood when he came into the knowledge of his sin, he understood that he was a child of wrath. He understood that he was a son of disobedience. He understood that the judgment of God was against him and his sin. And then he says, but I received mercy and the grace of God overflowed to me. Grace and mercy overflowed in Christ. Grace and mercy were born in that manger. And grace and mercy were married at the cross. And Paul says, because of this, they overflowed to me. That is the nature of grace, beloved. The nature of grace is that it overflows. You see the word that Paul uses there in verse 14. It's just overabundance. There is this superflowing. In the Greek, you get that idea. There is this superabundance. There is this superflowing. There is superplenteous grace. You know, we don't have super Christians. We don't have super saints. What we have are super sinners who are standing in the need of a super grace. And that grace, Paul says, overflows. It, 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 the nature of it is that it overflows. And Paul's, Paul likes to speak of grace in these glowing, abundant terms. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, Where sin abound, grace does abound all the more. Where sin increased, grace increases all the more. It overflows. It abounds. The idea is that of a fountain or a vessel or a cup that just is overflowing, overflowing, abounds exceedance. There's an overabundance of it. There is more than enough. More than enough. 
You notice the ways that, Paul's described, that Paul describes grace. He says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse, 10, verse 14, he says that grace is a surpassing grace. Surpassing grace. John says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 16 that we have been the recipients of grace upon grace. Grace upon grace, a surpassing grace, an overabundant grace. This is why Paul understood the grace of God to be an amazing grace. Now, this is so important to understand. If your sin, if your sin, is like a river. The grace of God is like an ocean. If your sin is like a rock, the grace of God is like a mountain. If your sin is like a candle, the grace of God is like the noonday sun. If your sin could run, the grace of God would run faster, run longer, because it always outruns it. Because there's always more, more, more. Spurgeon said, God is more ready and able to forgive you than you are ready and able to offend him. More. More than enough. More. John Newton understood this. The author of Amazing Grace considered himself to be the worst of sinners. A slave traitor. Captain of a slave ship, a murderer of men, women, and children. He said these words. In evil long, I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object met my sight and stopped my wild career. Stopped it. What stopped it? What object caught his sight? What object stopped his wild career? Beloved, it was the grace of God. Even more, it was Christ himself. When we say that we are saved by grace, what we mean that we are saved by Christ. When we say that grace is more than enough, what we're saying is that Christ is more than enough. When we say that the grace of God is abundant in our lives, what we mean is that Christ is abundant in our lives. Oh, and beloved, we need to understand and when Paul is talking, he's not talking about himself in some special category of grace. 
He's not speaking about himself as if he has received some special Jesus that is exclusive to him. But no, Paul is reminding us that the same Jesus that saved Paul is the same Jesus that saves us. The same Christ who was born in the manger, the same Savior who was hung on Calvary, that same Savior risen from the dead and coming again, that Savior who saved Paul, that Savior comes to save us. And so he says, this happened to me as a testimony that I may have been one of the first, but I will not, I shall not be the last. For the grace of God that comes, that came to me is available and it comes to you and come to all who would come and acknowledge themselves to be a sinner. You know, I love to sing Christmas songs. Love to sing Christmas songs. All types of Christmas songs. One of my favorite Christmas songs is, is Andy Williams singing. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I would give you a rendition of it, but you know, I don't want Lee to start breaking out in his favorite song and Avery start breaking out in his favorite song. And but you know what? It is the most wonderful time of the year. And not because kids will be jingle belling and everyone's telling you be of good cheer. And not because hearts will be glowing and, and, and the snow will be falling. And not because people are mistletoeing. And remembering Christmases of long, long ago. But rather, it is the most wonderful time of the year. Because I am once again reminded that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I am the foremost. It is the most wonderful time of the year because I am reminded because that baby was born in Bethlehem, I have become the recipient of an overwhelming, a surpassing, and overflowing, a more than enough, an amazing, a marvelous, a wonderful grace. the most wonderful time of the year because sinners can be reminded that they can be saved because Jesus came. Oh, I pray each of us, every one of us would know that this is a most wonderful time of the year. I pray that everyone here.
to be willing even now to acknowledge yourself a sinner and to receive the grace and the forgiveness of God that is more than enough. However much your sin abounds this day, be reminded, because that baby was born in Bethlehem, God's grace and forgiveness can and does abound even more. Why did Christ come? He came to save sinners. I don't know about you. I'm glad. Oh, I'm glad that baby was born. I'm so glad. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you for your love and your mercy that came in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the baby. But even more, we thank you for the life that baby lived. We thank you for the price that he paid on Calvary. Thank you for the hope and the assurance that comes to us because he is raised again. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the grace, marvelous, wonderful grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. This we thank and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.